Hello and welcome to the Niche Podcast for Friday, September 27th, 2013. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Kelly Shaver. And we're here to talk about building apps that run everywhere. This week, we discuss perception versus reality in the context of application performance. In particular, the importance of instantaneous feedback, a simple way to remove the pesky 300 millisecond delay in web apps on touch devices, and the real reason why jank is a bad thing. Please stay tuned. The Niche Podcast is next. So you were saying you guys have a stomach bug going around the house? Yeah, it's it's either either a stomach bug or something we all collectively ate. <laughs> that collective eating, it's always a bad yeah, thing. I don't know. We went out for Chinese yesterday. You never know. I don't want to point fingers, but... No, I don't either. That poo-poo platter. <laughs> Might Lives have been. up to its name. <laughs> Well, I mean, geez, it's been it's been a rough week there between the uh, the poo poo platter and the ripping off of fingernails. Yeah, that and the the putting the hand down on the hot burner. Don't forget that one. Yeah, you guys are like you batting a thousand. I know, I know. Yeah, Kira, Kira wants to go out and ride her bike later. I'm sure she'll come in with a like a broken leg or something. <laughs> I've been, I've seriously had Butterfingers super, like, wicked bad for the past two weeks. Yeah, you cut your hand all to bits, didn't you? Yeah, darn reflexes. I was, I was, like, not paying attention. I, that's the problem. I've been very much not paying attention lately to the physical world. Yeah. And uh, I, I bonked, I sort of just, like, tapped a uh, wine glass on our kitchen counter with my elbow. And I'm not... Mm-hmm. I don't even know to this day if I actually, if it would have fallen over, but I jumped to catch it and basically crushed it in my hand between <laughs> the granite countertop and my uh, right index and middle fingers, which slashed the crap out of my hand. Well, you were, you were the second person I've known in the last couple of weeks to have a, a wine related hand injury. Hmm. Good friend of mine, good friend of mine, um, was was decorking a bottle of wine the other night and the the bottle broke in his hand. Oh, sli- oh, he ended up slicing his hand up good. I've never heard of that. Yeah, did you have to go get stitches or anything? No, it's like I it was it was cut bad enough to stitch, but it's in a spot that's to, as far as I was concerned was unstitchable, which is uh like if you look at the palm of your hand right where your fingers join your hand, the lip of the glass just like went in like right in the on the inside, so like, I was like, I'm not getting stitches yeah. there. Yeah, he ended up cutting his like a, between his thumb and index finger, and cut it up pretty good there. Nice, that's our tough spot. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm like, I'm glad it didn't go into like my wrist or something like that. Yeah, yeah, really. But uh, yeah, so and it was and Cooper was sitting right there, and he was super freaked out. Like, oh yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, he was. I think I, I pro, I'm well actually. I know I said a couple of choice words <laughs> it was added to his, his three-year-old vocabulary. Yeah. And, uh, he just couldn't get his head around the fact that daddy got injured. Like, yeah, you got a boo-boo. It's like changed his whole perspective on life. Yeah. Changed his perception of reality. <laughs> Good segue. Uh, so what we want to talk about on this week's episode is, perception versus reality with performance and applications. And, and this is, this has been sort of a, 
I don't want to say bugaboo, but that's the word that comes to mind. <laughs> Ever since back when I was working with Dave Canada on JQ Touch, mm-hmm. and that was a, a very early sort of precursor to jQuery Mobile. It was like a, a mobile and Sentia Touch actually. It was a a kind of like a user interface widget library for mobile that allowed you to to basically write normal markup and then include JQ Touch, JavaScript, and CSS, and it would just like magically transform into very much like a native application experience at the time. Yes. And uh, everyone loved the way it looked, and and it, it really, it, it still to this day, it still looks really good. Um, Dave, yeah, it does, especially that dark that dark. Yeah, the dark theme, theme. The black theme. The yeah. default theme, which no one ever... Like, like Dave went to great effort to make it uh, themable, and literally nobody ever ended the theme. They yeah, just, because the default looks so good. Yeah, like, you're not going to improve on it. Like, every once in a while, people would change the, the highlighted button color, but... Yeah. But so the thing was, um, we know it, users mostly, but also, you know, Dave especially, who's like a pixel perfectionist, you noticed that there was a... 300 millisecond delay or there was a delay when you would tap a button you like tap the button and wait and then it would you'd see that like gray you know active highlight that the touch Mm -hmm. devices you know ios anyway superimposes and people really that really bugged people they were like it didn't bug me at the time but i i don't bugs me now (laughs) yeah it's just like it's funny because when you're navigating through a website, I would I would argue I've never heard anybody complain about it when they're navigating through websites. But when you're doing something on an app, it's noticeable. Yeah, but it's weird because you're still on a website, but yeah. there's this psychological difference that if it looks like an app, it should do everything like an app. And there's a whole side conversation we could have have about sort of uncanny valley between web apps and native apps and that you shouldn't even be trying to fool people into thinking that it's an actually a native app. Uh, better your time is better spent making a kick-ass experience that your users are going to love and not worry about whether or not it looks like a native app, but that's different. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree, but still, I want to get rid of the l- delay when I tap a button, <laughs> even if it doesn't look like a default app. Mm. So, here's the, so here is the thing. And mm-hmm. if you, like I, uh, pay attention to this kind of thing constantly, because it's been, it, like I said, it's been bugging me for... I guess that was like 2008. It's been bugging me for like four or five years. And first of all, the reason why it happens is because the OS is waiting to find out if you're going to double tap because in the, or the browser anyway, is waiting to see if Mm -hmm. you're going to double tap because in Safari, if you double tap, you're telling the browser to zoom into the block element that was double tapped. And I would argue that that was a mistake and that they shouldn't have done that. Because if you didn't have that, if you didn't have the double tap to zoom, then you wouldn't need the delay. And double tap to zoom is easily replaced with pinch to zoom, although it's maybe slightly less convenient in that you're not going to zoom directly into the element. But but so many websites, whatever. It, it's a that's yeah. I I think it was a mistake, but that's the way it is. Yeah, I mean you've got a you've got on iOS you've also got a triple tap, which is a an OS wide zoom in as part of their accessibility features, but I think you have to turn that on. 
Uh, I believe you're right. I've never seen that, so I'm sure you're right that you do have to turn it on. But that's and what it, and that zooms the text, or it zooms anything anywhere. It zooms the whole the whole UI, regardless of what you're in. Cool. Yeah, I have seen that. I don't know I, if it does on seven, but I believe that that is off by default. But I have seen that. Uh, okay. So yeah. So it's, I suppose it's debatable whether or not you know. I don't know. I'm sure there's very much more, a lot more going on behind the scenes that I don't know about. Uh, so here's the thing: you can defeat that issue by um, listening to touch events instead of listening to click events. Mm-hmm. So you've got a t- typical JQ Touch web app or jQuery mobile web app has links and the links are you know call to action for either whatever submitting forms navigating to other pages pulling up other screens whatever and the you know in the example i I do a a training thing where i use the example of the touch delay being annoying with a calculator application made with html it's super annoying right because you tap the button and then you have to wait for the digit to show up yeah it's like tap 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 that's about as fast as you can go and have yeah. the keystrokes recognized it's super annoying so okay uh so what you do is you listen to touch events instead and the touch events you're basically saying to the browser look i know what i'm doing i'm going to handle the touch events and yeah. the the hard part with that is that the touch events are very low level and there's no event like swipe there's no event called tap there's no event called long press it's basically touch start touch, touch move, move and touch end yeah and touch cancel but uh, you know whatever yeah. So uh, the the problem that's great. I'm glad I'm glad that that's there, but the the drag is that it's really really complicated to uh if you're going to start listening to touch events, you've got a lot of work ahead of you. Uh, yeah, it, you you do and there are some there I can't remember if they're I've run into it a couple of times now and I can't remember if they're bugs in the browser or if they're just the way it works, but there are some instances where if you if you act on those touch events at the wrong time or you call a prevent default or something like that, then the the touch end event doesn't fire like it's normally would and yeah. Yeah, it's super complicated and it's different in different browsers. Or it was at mm-hmm. one time the last time I really really dove into it. So what ends up happening is so all kinds of weird things can happen like Yeah, uh, you get weird event bubbling. Yes, and you get ghost clicks on Android in particular where yes. where you you tap right so here's here's a quick example of like the kind of nightmare you're in for if you want to really really start listening to touch events you can mm-hmm. do it and there's libraries like hammer js that you can use but if you want to roll stuff your own and you you here's a typical example you've got a list view and you're going to tap on it on one of the items in that the screen's going to slide left to right uh, right well it's going to slide left i was going to slide yeah yeah out of the way and then you're going to see a detail for the item that you tapped on simple typical drill down navigation interface mm-hmm. and on android um if you if you do on uh there's like so it's like so complicated you can't listen to touch start because then that would prevent the user from scrolling the screen up and down yeah so, so assuming the list is longer than the the screen if you do the navigation on touch start as soon as their finger touches the glass like a like milliseconds later <laughs> It's going to slide over, and the person's going to be like, well, I was just going to pan the view. I wasn't going to yeah. didn't want to touch it. I was going to zoom in. Right. So you can't listen to touch start there. You have to listen to touch end. And, and then you have to check touch move when you do. Exactly. So you have to track touch move the whole time to see if they moved. And then it turns out that when people, a lot of times when people tap, 
you know, so they you move get a, a little. They move a little. <laughs> so you can't just listen to touch move and say, oh, did a touch move happen? Because almost every single time a touch move accidentally happens, even though it's like a pixel. Yeah. So then you have to set a threshold for the touch move, and if it's lower than the threshold, then that counts as a tap. If it's greater than the threshold, Mm -hmm. then do nothing because they're trying to pan the screen. So, okay, so we've we've navigated that that complexity. Then what happens is, so so your tap goes down on an element, a list element, at a particular X, Y coordinate. Mm -hmm. You don't move your finger very much. And uh, the the navigation slides over, you know, nice and quick, like, you know, 100, 200 millisecond slide. So it slides over gorgeously. And then if there happens to be a button or any interactive element at the same XY coordinate on the incoming yep. screen, a click fires there. Yeah. Which makes no freaking sense. Like, if anything, the click should fire on the thing you originally touched. The yeah, element. it's it's this is and this is super annoying. I've had to deal with this a lot in an app I'm working on. Yeah, it's really annoying and it's and it's really intermittent like you can think you're doing fine because you don't necessarily have an interactive element at that xy coordinate on the next screen yeah and anyway so that's just a a tiny glimpse yeah and that's and that's where i ran into the issue of well if i do prevent default to stop the click event from firing then the touch end doesn't fire (laughs) yeah and if and if you do prevent default the user can't put the cursor in a field so you have to be very specific about what you put the prevent default on or do i just return false right and if you put prevent default on touch start that or touch move and you so if you so like what I do often is I bind events to the body element and then mm-hmm. I just listen in one place so that way I I can have like crazy dynamic content in the middle of the page and not have a billion event listeners and like be you know uh, attaching and detaching or adding and removing event listeners to yeah. dynamic content just I just listen at the top mm-hmm. and I say uh, what just happened like something just happened I let it bubble up to the body and say all right was the uh not the current target but was the original target a link if so do some stuff if it was an input element do some other stuff you know Mm -hmm. and and that's been every time i deviate from that approach i immediately devolve into way too much complexity and disaster so but it gets super complicated and and it's very it's different enough on ios and android and other platforms that it's a real nightmare yeah so this is and this isn't even the point so let me just shift gears a little bit into the so suffice it to say that we've both thought about this a lot and dealt with it a lot and in fact every every week (laughs) yeah it's uh it's a pain in the ass so so it's kind so this 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 300 millisecond delay is always on my mind so i always notice when i'm using a native application when there's a delay between that like me tapping a button and then something happening Mm-hmm. And if you, dear listener, I challenge you to start paying attention to this, and I assure you that you will find that native apps are just as slow as the 300 millisecond delay when you consider the entire transaction, if you will. So if you, um, not all the time, but lots of times, you will tap, like uh, the settings application in iOS is a great example. Oh, yeah, yeah. You, there's a long list of stuff. You tap on one, you wait for two seconds, and then the screen slides over. Yeah. And no one cares. You want to know why? Because it's a native app. <laughs> because, the because the, yes, 
because there's nothing they can do about it. <laughs> they can't switch to something else. But the reason, the reason no one notices or cares is because as soon as you tap that button, it turns blue. Yeah. The instant your finger touches that button, it turns blue. And you know that it's going to animate. Where on, uh, and if you created that exact same interface with a web app, it would take just as long to animate. The problem is that you wouldn't, you know, there'd be this question mark in your head. Like, did I tap did the it, button? I tap Am I, is it frozen? Did I, like, w what's going on? Yeah. So, so is your solution to this to not, not worry about the 300 millisecond delay when calling the actual touch, the actual link action because of the the touch weirdness that it creates and then just have it set a set a state well put yes so i if you want to i think you can make things even a little bit better if you do go down the rabbit hole of actually responding to touch events mm -hmm. but it occurred to me that most people are not going to do that especially on a website you know, a, a pure straight up, you know, website like, like TechCrunch. Yeah. You know, yeah. like it's way too complicated to deal with that stuff. Yeah. And like I'm working on an app right now. We're binding to all these touch events, but then having the fallback to switch to click events for the desktop version. We're trying to use the same code and the whole thing. Yeah. And it gets, yeah. you know, eh. it's really, so yeah, I'm liking, so I'm, I'm liking your, liking your approach here. Yeah. So check and it I'm out. Yeah. So what I did was I wrote, it's not even, it's not even fair to call it a library. It's a snippet that I put on GitHub called fast active. Mm -hmm. And what it does is all, all it does is this. It, when you, when your finger touches the screen, it listens to touch start and it adds an active class to the thing you touched instantly. And, and that's that. And that's that. So then you, you write CSS to, um, to, give instantaneous visual feedback to the user that they did touch the screen, the application got the message, and presumably is doing something about it. Yeah, so you want to know what I call that class when you touch something? Because hmm. I, I don't call it active. What? I, I set it to tickle. <laughs> <laughs> Poked. <laughs> <laughs> Poked. <laughs> so... So I've been experimenting with this. I'm like, I, and I put it on GitHub in hopes that people would, because it's definitely not optimized. It's really, it does exactly yeah. two things. It puts the, it, it adds that class to the poked, the tickled item. And then 300 milliseconds later, it removes it. <laughs> it, it, three, it. But then if you move your finger at all, it uh, clears it. So any kind of scrolling or, or anything, it, uh, it's, you know, it's, so in other words, if you've got like a, a list of items and you want to scroll it, the first one will get activated and then you, uh, as they scroll their mm -hmm. finger, it'll get deactivated. So it, and so I'm experimenting with it on, I put it, uh, on the niche website and I put it on my personal website and the, the difference is significant if you're paying attention. I think that, it, I think it's the kind of thing you won't notice unless mm -hmm. someone tells you. But it definitely gives the impression that the website is faster. I'm gonna have to check this out because this may <laughs> this may um, solve some of the garbage I'm dealing with. Yeah, because if you because you brought up a great a great point, which is that if you presumably if you're doing like a responsive 
app, which you probably are if you're using HTML, uh, you do have to listen to touch and click. So it's like, well, you know, what do I do? You know, mm-hmm. going from one to the other, it's like, I set a variable and then listen to this event and then it's like, well, yeah, but right. I mean, uh, Right. Set a variable for the event, and then do my detection at the top of the script. And but still, you run into some occasions where one or the other ends up being problematic. Mm. Yes, absolutely. And it's it has that feeling. It has that ne- feeling of never ending whack a mole. Like yeah, exactly. Difficulty. So I uh, don't for a second think that this is a solution for everyone but it is the kind of thing it is the kind of snippet you could just slap into your website and uh and suddenly have improved perform perception perception of performance performance, right because there's no question mark in the user's head like they can see that their finger touched the right button and that you know the presumption is that something will then happen and Mm -hmm. uh you know it's like we're talking about eight eight lines of javascript basically something like it's very short yeah and it doesn't do anything on the desktop um you could add in a mouse down if you wanted to do it on the desktop but i don't really feel like like mouse see on the desktop and here's another thing that comes up a lot uh that is confusing when you're trying to build things for desktop and mobile is the hover pseudo class in css Mm -hmm. and the active pseudo class in css because um and this, that, this actually is going to segue into the jank discussion. Okay. Um, if you've played with this much, you will know that um, sort of, if you're, if you're adding different CSS rules for links that are uh, active versus hover versus regular, mm-hmm. then they're going to behave very predictably on any desktop browser. But and on, very differently on mobile. Yeah, very differently on mobile. So like, like you can like things will happen like you tap you know you tap if you do nothing other than have that css if you tap on a button you get a delay then you get the on ios you get this gray os provided uh Mm -hmm. overlay and on android it's blue or orange depending on the version of the system you have and then you might get a hover CSS rule activated and you might, you get, might get an active. active. And then if you, if you let's say, and let's say it's an internal page link. Mm-hmm. If you navigate somewhere down in the page, you know, by virtue of tapping the link and then scroll back, the thing will still be active. Yeah. Maybe, you know, <laughs> and, and this, this ties into the jank thing that I wanted to bring up, which is that, that, that basically is jank. And, and jankiness is really is one of those things that people really point to with web apps because, you know, you get try and do like an animation of a big carousel or something, and you get all sorts of like screen flashing and stuff mm-hmm. jumping around. Uh, we we're they're trying to launch a couple of the projects I've been ta- I've brought up in the past, um, which are someday soon, hopefully going to launch. <laughs> They, uh, you know, they're doing the implementation and they're getting very close to launching and they get back to us and they're like, this, this page is like not performing really well. And, you know, is there any, any advice that you guys can give us to make this page perform better? Yeah. And like, well, maybe, in, you know, if you didn't have two megabytes of, of text on it, then maybe it would be performing a little better. Yeah. I've, I've been dealing with a lot of performance issues lately and it's, it's been stuff like 
render your list that has 400 items. Right. Yeah. So there's a lot of, that's a separate conversation, but, uh, but the problem, the real problem with the perception of this particular, the performance on this particular page, there were two things that were um, really, three things that were really bad, but I think one of them was really uncommon. So mm-hmm. two things were, the first thing was that there was, they were trying to put a, uh, an advertiser, uh, a fixed position advertising banner at the bottom of the page on, a, on mobile mm-hmm. and like fix it there but they wanted it to like slide in so it had this had a little bit of css animations going on then it's got a fixed positioning to the bottom of the viewport and you've got this massive page loading in the background so so the network spinner's going the stuff's firing all over the place and when you would scroll the page the footer would flash it would slide up and then jump back it was like really janky yeah so that was one thing. Another thing was that the images, there were like lots of images on the page and they were bigger than they needed to be. And, you know, there's like all sorts of network stuff going on. There's like 20 JavaScript files included. There's a million things going on. But as the page was loading, you did get um, the text would show up right away mm-hmm. and you could start scrolling. But then as the images would load above where you were, it would rearrange your reflow your text. It was reflowing the text, so it'd be like you'd scroll down like a pay, a, a window's worth, and then you'd be a, reading, and then yeah, boink! Yeah. All of a sudden, it would unceremoniously jump, yeah. and that just you basically couldn't read it until all the images were loading. Yeah, loaded. So I got to thinking about this, and I was like, and then there was another thing where they just randomly they had one of these big images was an animated GIF, which was causing all kinds of weird problems. No. So the, the, I started thinking about the problem and the jankiness and like what, what, if this was a native app, what would happen? And first of all, with a native app, what would happen is it would launch and you'd get a spinner for like five seconds. Yeah. They wouldn't even let you start looking at stuff until everything was happy, you know, until they had their, like their, their shit together, basically. Right. Like, hang on, we're getting our act together. We're we're loading all the stuff for you. Hold on. We'll be right with you. Maybe you watch this fun little animation. Yeah. Here's a, here's a bouncing ball. Right. (laughs) And I, and I feel like that's normal. That's like a common occurrence in what they get a launch screen. Maybe there's some fun stuff on the launch screen. There's a loading screen. Yeah. Yeah. Like launch, launch the native Tumblr app and tell me that comes up in two seconds. No, no, no. It's like five, 10 seconds sometimes. Yeah, and in fact, I dealt with this same thing um, a couple of weeks ago, where we were—it it wasn't launching the application, but it, the web app—but it was doing, doing like a really big processor-intensive thing within the application. And I was, finally, I just said, you know, screw it. And I I hid the whole screen, showed a loading indicator, and and once it was done, I showed the screen again. Right. And so what what happens is, so here's the perception versus reality. What happens is. You're, you're kind of like setting expectations in real time mm-hmm. where it's like, you know, don't, since the person can't start reading, they're not going to get annoyed when the text jumps out from under what they're looking at. Right. You know, and, and it's not any faster. Like a lot of these native applications, Tumblr is a great example. It's basically a custom browser. You're not like, it's going to the website. Yeah, you, you still have to load the data from the internet. Yeah, there's no way around that. So, and, and name me an application that's not talking to the internet, Yeah, you know, there's like, there are certain intrinsic delays that are going to happen. 
and the and I think the and the web there is a definite difference in expectations between like you know I'm in Facebook the Facebook application and I click to open a link in Safari or Chrome and there's this expectation that it's going to immediately launch or it's going to launch really fast like under 2 seconds mm-hmm. and in in a perfect world that would be true like it's it's always my goal to like get pages to load in under a second you know or 2 seconds at the least at the most but if you can't do that then it's all about not messing not putting that question mark in the user's mind like right not like, not looking broken until you do load yeah like what the hell is going on here yeah. you know so like a couple of couple of pieces so if, so in this particular situation i made a couple of suggestions where i was like first of all get rid of that footer until you can figure out how to make it work mm-hmm. you know like just figure that out like maybe asynchronously load that delay it by five seconds or something and slide it in once everything else is done listen to the like window load event when everything's done and then do that thing or something, but you've got to get it out of there because it just looks like it's like a, it's like a punch the monkey. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So that's one thing. The other thing, and I doubt they'll do this because it will take work, but uh, (laughs) on the part of the editorial staff, and that was like a precondition of this thing is that the editorial staff could have no more work. Mm hmm. But to define the sizes of the images that were coming in so that so you could set placeholder placeholders that wouldn't jump the text all over the place. Right. And again, you see this in native apps all the time, even iTunes, where where there'll be a placeholder, yeah. Yeah, a page will load and have a ribbon, like a carousel type ribbon of apps. And if you scroll it really fast, they're not loaded. No. But they're they've got these sort of blue gray thumbnail boxes where the image is going to show up. You see it all the time, mm-hmm. and you, we could do this on the web, but no one. It's just not. It hasn't been the way that it's been done. Uh, and so I guess my point is that certainly there are cases when native apps are are faster. You know, if you if you're creating like a, an application that lets you sign PDFs with your finger, you know, you need to have this incredibly fast, like 16 millisecond response time between your finger sliding around and, you know, a and line drawing. Line draw and draw, yeah. Yeah. But, but by and large, like nine times out of 10, a lot of the, and it's certainly any native app that has to do network requests, they just There's hand, still going to be a delay. Yeah, there's a delay. Sorry. The, you know, the DNS handshake has to happen. The content, the server has to respond, has to go across the air. You know, it doesn't change anything. Excuse me. I'll I'll be right back. I'm going to space. (laughs) Give it a second. Yeah. (laughs) But the native apps, they do a much better job of, of delivering, um, of, of not putting that question mark in the person's mind. Yeah. They're like, something's going to be here. It's not here yet. Meanwhile, you can use all this other stuff and nothing's going to jump around. Yeah, and it's the, it's the same. You can do the same sort of thing on a web app. You just have to put a little bit of, of forethought into it. And I, I think people largely don't because we've gotten so used to desktop browsers with broadband connections that it's it's not as big an issue as it right. used to be. Right. You know, we used to have to do this kind of thing all the time when you're loading things over your 28K modem. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And there's tons of there are tons of like the BBC is a great example where mm-hmm. they they load one sort of hero image at the top of an article and it's a def- predefined size so they can leave the spot for it yeah and then anything after that is added opportunistically 
yeah no lazy loading yeah basically lazy loading right and i you know it's really it's no it's not rocket science these are techniques that all web developers know how to do yeah in fact i wrote a little lazy loading jquery plugin uh, i think the last time we talked about performance i'll have to see if i can dig it up oh cool yeah we should link to that in, in terms of code execution and the, the difference between web apps and native apps, um, I found two things that really make a huge difference. And one is the complexity of the DOM and the CSS rules being applied to it. Yes, much more and so the than other, the JavaScript. Yes, yes. But the big JavaScript issue I found um, uh, has been garbage collection. Interesting. And managing that and, and keeping it from, yeah. Yeah, and I feel like we could probably go into a whole discussion on that in and of itself, so maybe we should save it for another time. But I have I've seen some pretty drastic improvements in performance just by taking a little more care to sort of sort of manage the amount of garbage collection that the the browser has to do. Because mobile mobile browsers don't do it nearly as efficiently as desktop browsers do. Yeah, that that would be a great talk. We should do that it next turns week. Out. Yeah, yeah. Did you read that? I, I'm yeah. sure I linked to that post. The uh uh, Drew Crawford's yeah, post. Yeah, in fact, I think I read it before you linked to it. <laughs> Probably, yeah. But he, he, you know, that's a great, it's true, you know, they're, they're. Yeah, and it's one of those things I think a lot of, a lot of people don't think about because just uh, a lot of web developers, garbage collection is not something a lot of web developers have to worry about, <laughs> I feel like. Yeah, like web develop, like they're not like, it's not like game developers who would, who would definitely that's like a step they would take for sure they would just make sure that right right you know they're not they don't have memory leaks and they're not optimized i mean i'm not a game developer but you know there's that's that thing like where frames per second a couple frames per second makes a huge difference um Mm -hmm. there's there's another thing that i haven't looked into enough because i mean honestly i i think it's easier to just avoid some of these edge performance cases with simpler techniques than getting really, really mm-hmm. under the covers, but sometimes you can't avoid it. And uh, request animation frame seems like a real good new way to kind of replace a set interval where set interval just sort of happens when it happens and request animation frame specifically mm-hmm. lines up the, the things JavaScript is trying to do with like the the refresh of the browser refresh is the wrong word repaint of the browser I yeah not, i have not looked into this oh yeah check out not looked it. into that at all so. yeah so if you're using set interval anywhere you probably or, or what about set timeout set timeout same difference it'll be less pronounced but yeah. um yeah uh both it it kind of like my understanding of it is weak but but what i from what i understand it it essentially schedules the thing to happen when a bunch of other stuff's going to happen anyway. So it doesn't, so it becomes more, it becomes less janky basically. Mm-hmm. So you're not dropping, you're not dropping frames in other words, because what happens is like the, the browser is going to refresh like set, set timeout or set interval is unpredictable in that it's not going to actually be at the millisecond that you specify. Yeah, no, it's not. It's not. So what you do instead is say, all right, since I can't really, and, and what ends up happening is like, you'll skip, like they'll just, the, the browser will just throw away the step that didn't line up with its repaint. So you get that yeah. jumpy, you can get that jumpy behavior. 
but if you yeah, do request either. animation frame, it I guess it, it's kind of like locks those things together. Hmm. So I, I see it as a I see it as kind of like UDP versus HTTP. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. So that it might be worth looking it's into. Definitely worth looking into. <laughs> Anywho, so I guess the moral of the story is it's very very web centric episode this week. But uh, the moral of the story is perception, you know, obviously make your thing as fast as it can go, but you're never going to get it instantaneous if you're going across the network. So do whatever you can. you can. Yes, you can make the person using your application. Feedback that, that, that. Yes. I think we're having lag. I think we are. Yeah, so the moral of the story is make your stuff as fast as possible. But if you're going across the network, then, you know, you're going to automatically have a certain amount of delay. So while that delay is happening, make sure the user understands that something is happening and they're not wondering what's going on. Uh, and it's really yeah, not that hard to do. Change a button state or give them a loading indicator. Yeah. We are hitting lag. <laughs> <laughs> See, I need some kind of instant feedback that you're talking. It's a perfect example. This is a perfect example. I, we should pretend <laughs> like we did this on purpose. <laughs> I need a little light that blinks. <laughs> Over. Over. <laughs> All right, let's let's wrap it at that point. <laughs> So that's our show for this week. I'm Jonathan Stark. I'm Kelly Shaver. And we hope you join us in again next week for the Niche Podcast. Bye. Bye.